you're listening to the Fitness Matters Podcast with Paula B, and this is episode number 63, How to Love Yourself. Hello, hello, my friends. Welcome to another episode of the Fitness Matters Podcast, where every week we talk about the fitness matters that matter to you. And I will tell you that normally when we start off these podcasts, I spend the first, like, I don't know, minute or so explaining to you why this matters to you or how it only matters to me sometimes. Or, you know, I feel like I feel like I like to set up the topic with some kind of background, some kind of here's why it matters. Can we skip that this time? I feel like loving yourself is such an obvious thing that you would want to do that I don't know that I really need to convince you, right? And yet, and yet, some of us really struggle with it for myself. In fact, I've got lots of examples today of all of the ways in which I have struggled to love myself. I don't know for a long time, honestly, I don't know if I even really saw the value in it. And I mean that in a way that it was more that I was simply ignoring it than rather that I thought about, oh, you know, loving myself, that's a bad idea. I don't know that I ever really thought about it in that sense. I kind of just didn't really think about my relationship with myself. And so that might be sort of the groundwork of where we start with you today. Where are you on your loving yourself journey? For me, personally, I started off just not thinking about it. It wasn't that I didn't love myself. There were parts of myself that I loved, parts of myself that I really didn't love, definitely parts of myself that I hated for a long time, long, long, long time ago. But I would say that for the most part, I kind of just didn't really think about it. I thought that I had a pretty... I'm going to say an ordinary relationship with myself, meaning that some things I thought I did okay, some things I thought I did not okay, and I didn't really spend a lot of time thinking about how much I love myself. I will tell you that now, I don't spend a lot of time thinking about how much I love myself, but I do spend time actually thinking about my relationship with myself and how it affects my relationship with the world and the results that I get in the world. Where I am now with my loving myself relationship is light years away from where I used to be. And I have come to a conclusion somewhat recently, like within the past, within the past six months, where, which is when I've come to so many of my conclusions that have turned out wonderfully in my life. Thank you very much. I have come to the conclusion that really thinking about how I love myself and working on loving myself is probably one of the most important things I can do. It's why I'm going to encourage you, no matter where you are on the loving yourself journey, to actually think about it. It's why we're talking about it today. Maybe up until this point, you've been like, yeah, you know what? I kind of love myself. It's fine. Whatever. It's all right. Or maybe you're already in the point where you're like, okay, I'm working on this. I am thinking about it. I know it's important and I'm practicing some skills. This is a great place to be. And this conversation hopefully will be really, really helpful for you today. So I used to have a four-part process for loving myself and it went something like this. When I wasn't really thinking about it or when I would do something that I was you know, happy with, like uh, some kind of activity, some kind of interaction with somebody, something would happen. So that was step one, do something. And then I would kind of not really think about it at all because it was either neutral or reasonably positive. You know, I didn't have to like 
go over it in my mind, really. I just would do something and then I, step two, wouldn't really think about it at all. And then step three, I would think later about trying to love myself and maybe look at some of the things that I had done that I was proud of or something that was like easy to love, something nice that I had done for something else, somebody else. And then step four, you know, I would mostly love myself. And this was, I mean, it's not a bad way to go. It's really not. But there was also, slightly more problematic, those times when I would, step one, do something. Step two, be embarrassed about how it all went down. Either an uncomfortable conversation or something that I did that I didn't like the way it came out or the way it evolved. And then step three, I would argue with myself about how I'm lovable anyway. And then step four, mostly love myself. (laughs) And I will tell you that this showed up for me in a lot of different ways. And I have, I have one really specific example about, about this four step process of something going down that I didn't, didn't love. So we've talked about how I love to run, right? I mean, maybe you're brand new to the podcast. I will tell you, I love to run. I'm a runner. I run ultra marathons for fun. I am, I am currently, I am currently not training for an ultra marathon and haven't been for almost a year, which is super weird for me because in the 15 years that I've been running, I have run, uh, well, about 15 ultra marathons. And I didn't even start running ultras until, gosh, until several years into my running career. So, so I usually run a lot. Currently, I'm, I'm really focusing on on work right now and really focusing on finding my own moderation, really focusing on finding what works for me and my body right now. That's a whole, whole other thing to this side. So anyways, I, I don't, this is why I'm, this is why I'm struggling over this one. I don't like to say that I used to run ultra marathons and yet I am not currently training, nor do I have plans to train for one, but used to makes it sound like I'm never going to run one again. And I don't know that. So I have run ultra marathons and one of the first, well, the first marathon I ever ran, I didn't finish. And there have been other races that I didn't finish. There was one really specifically, I signed up for a hundred K and this is what I'm telling the story about. So I signed up for this hundred K and I was very excited about it, but also incredibly nervous, like just incredibly nervous. I had so much self-doubt. It was insane. Leading up to this 100K, which is 62 miles, by the way, for my <laughs> my non-kilometer speaking friends, <laughs> um, I, had run, I had run a 50K, which is 31 miles, and then I think like six weeks later, I had run a 50 mile race. And then this was like six weeks later that I was running hundred K. So now if you have ever run an ultra marathon or know anything about running, you might know that this was a terrible setup. <laughs> like, like this was, this was not setting myself up for success. And yet at the time, I mean, this was many years ago. I was much younger, still had lots of energy, lots of stamina. It was it was within my realm. Technically speaking, I was physically capable of doing this, but it was way, way, way at the edge of what I could have been physically capable of doing. So race day dawned. I had already run the 50K really successfully. I had already run the 50 miler really successfully. 
I, I came to this 100K really, really, really nervous, like really nervous. And this used to be a huge problem for me on race day. I would absolutely have all kinds of mindset issues. I was always physically capable of everything that I set out to do. And yet self-doubt absolutely plagued me and really, really brought me lots of, well, embarrassing results in my mind. So I start off running and I'm running with my husband. He had agreed to run um, the 100K with me, which is kind of hilarious now. <laughs> like I have no idea why, why that was a good idea for him any more than it was for me because I don't think he was any better trained than I was. In any event, we set off and I was almost immediately not feeling good, like physically not feeling good from the effort. I was having a lot of trouble with my stomach. I was having a lot of trouble with fueling. I was just having a lot of trouble. And the day was really rough from beginning to end. And thankfully, what happened was the race director had told us at the very start of the race, because it was an out and back, we literally ran out 50K and then back 50K. The race director told us that if we decided at the halfway point at the 50K that we could be done and we would still get credit for finishing, we would get our names you know, on the internet forever as a 50K finisher, it was still an ultra marathon, blah, blah, blah. So thankfully, it turned out that even though I ended up quitting on the 100K, I was able to finish the 50K. But I was so embarrassed about having told everybody, having made all these arrangements. I had people picking up my kids from, from their activities. I had people in place to be at different aid stations. Like I had created all of this, in my mind, fuss about this race that I wasn't able to finish. Now, I did get the finisher's cup. I did get the finisher's shirt. Technically, I finished, but I really struggled with how it all went down. I really struggled with the fact that I wasn't capable, that that was not what I had set out to do. I was super embarrassed about having people in place and having my sister come out and meet us at the aid stations. And I felt like, well, I felt like a loser. I mean, I'm just going to say it like bluntly. I felt like a total loser for not being able to finish this race. And so then, step three, I argued with myself about that. Well, Paula, you finished 50K. Lots of people never run that far. You were able to rally back. You were able to put your mind in the right place. Like, you did all the things. You ended up getting, you know, the finisher's cup. Your name is on the internet as a finisher. Like, this is still a huge accomplishment. Lots of people never run 31 miles in one day. The terrain was difficult. You fought against all kinds of battles. Like, like I can find evidence for why this was still fine. And so that arguing with myself about how I was still lovable anyway led to step four, mostly loving myself. It was fine. It was okay. I made it through. I mean, of course, I give, I give myself points for persevering. Okay. I mostly love myself. And here's the thing. For a long time, I really thought that this was fine. Like, I really thought that I was doing the right thing, like looking for evidence for why I was lovable, even in these situations and, and mostly coming around to, well, yeah, of course, that's still, you could still love yourself, even though you do embarrassing things, right? Like in spite of being embarrassed by the way it went down, I could love myself. And here's what I have learned somewhat recently. 
in spite of isn't the goal. In spite of isn't the same as really, really, really loving yourself. I now have a new process. Step one, do something. Step two, love myself no matter what. And I will tell you that taking off this part where I argue with myself or where I'm embarrassed first, it has done wonders for my relationship with myself. My husband and I were running. This was, oh my gosh, this was literally last weekend. Yeah. Like, well, I mean, it's, it's not a weekend right now. So it's like a week and a half ago. So my husband and I were out running. We were, you know, as you know, we're going on 30 adventures this year. We were on adventure number two for 2021. And we were going to this waterfall that I've never been to before. This was a, an, <laughs> it was very interestingly described in my trail handbook as um, unmanaged or unkempt. But it's, it's a trail that is not maintained. That's the word I'm trying to come up with. It's a trail that's not maintained. And we're running on this trail and it was actually a pretty wide trail, pretty easily traversable. And I was like, okay, I wonder why they went to the point of saying that it was not maintained. Then we got less than a mile from the waterfall and we figured out why (laughs) it became rather overgrown. There were lots of branches. The trail was still very visible. Thank goodness. Obviously it is still walked on and run on often enough that, okay, I can, I can, we could still find my way. I was still knew that I was going places, but, but it became a lot more difficult. So we get to this, this waterfall and the very last, like 30 feet. I mean, we have already run like three and a half, not even that, no, that, not that far, but two and a half miles to get there. And the last 30 feet is what looks to me to be a sheer cliff face. Like it was just, it was straight down and there were, there were rocks and it was technically speaking, it was traversable. My husband went down. Somebody had even tied a rope around a tree at the top and a tree at the bottom so that you could kind of either hoist yourself up or kind of rappel down. So my husband made it down there and I stayed at the top and I was like, I can't do that. I just can't. I cannot go down steep hills. I really, really struggle with this. This is something that I've known about myself for quite some time. Going downhill feels a lot more problematic to me. And there are, I mean, I'm going to put some air quotes around this. There are reasons why it's hard for me. My bifocal lenses makes looking like straight down the trail in front of me kind of difficult. So I worry about my footing. I also, I have spent a lot of years developing my gluteal muscles. I'm a great climber, but my thighs, the fronts of my thighs, my um, quadriceps tend to be less strong. So I, I physically have more difficulty going downhill and I really struggle with trusting myself with my footing and my strength to go downhill. So I stayed up at the top of the hill and I was like, no, I can't do that. I cannot get down there. And I could see through the trees. Like I could see the waterfall. I could hear the waterfall. I was there, but I just couldn't get down the hill. And so my husband went down and, you know, he took pictures and he was like, I think you can do this, Paula. I really do. And I was like, no, I really can't. I cannot do this. And so we were ready to go back to the car. You know, it's an out and back. So we were turned around and running away. and, And my husband was like, you know, how can I help you with this? How can I help you do things that feel scary? And I got mad. I was so mad. I was like, 
How can I help you accept that I have limits? How can I help you understand that there are some things that I just can't do? <laughs> so, and so he backed off. He was like, I'm sorry. I'm not trying to be rude. You know, I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I just, I, I, I think you could do this. And so we kind of went back and forth on it for a while. And I was so upset and I was, I was so angry at him. <laughs> and so we had run back about a half a mile and I stopped in the middle of the trail and I'm like, okay, we need to go back. I need to do this. And he was like, no, no, you don't. I'm really sorry. I didn't make you, you know, I wasn't trying to make you feel bad. And I'm like, no, this is actually something that I'm working on. It feels like physical fear. It feels like something that I can't do but this is a mental fear. This is, this is a mindset issue. I'm physically capable of getting down a hill and this is only a mindset issue. Yes, there might be some physical parts to it, but not enough that I can't try this. And so he reluctantly agreed to go back. He was like, I don't want you to hurt yourself. I don't want, you know, I, you know, you know how you feel when, when you've tried to convince somebody about something and then they decide to do it and you're like, oh, what did I do? <laughs> so, so he was totally trying to backtrack. And I was like, determined that no, this was actually a mindset issue and not a physical issue. Let me go. Let me go see if I can do this. Let me go conquer this. So we went back to the hill and I ended up crab crawling down this hill. I literally got down on my hands and my feet. Like, so I was going not backwards, but my hands were behind me and my feet were in front of me. So if you can picture what a crab crawl looks like. So I crab crawled my way down this hill and I will tell you something. It was easy. (laughs) It was not difficult at all because by the way, when you are crab crawling, you are using your gluteal muscles and not your thigh muscles nearly as much. Yes, it still involved your quadriceps, but it was mostly a rear chain activity at that point. Having my hands on the ground turned it into a butt workout. So, so it was totally easy for me. I felt nothing but absolute joy that I was able to get down there. I was like, oh my gosh, I feel so dumb, <laughs> right? <laughs> if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you know that that was the first thing that popped into my head. I was stupid for not giving it a try when we were there the first time. So anyways, so we get down to the bottom and you know, my husband takes a picture of me in front of this waterfall and I am just beaming with pride. I'm so freaking happy that I made myself do this. I'm thrilled that I got down this hill. And of course, climbing back up was no big deal. I mean, yes, there was a rope there, but I honestly could have climbed it even without the rope. I'm a very good climber. So we get to the top and I am just so, so happy. And of course I expressed to my husband, sorry, I was angry at you. Sorry, I made a big deal about this, but gosh darn it. Can you believe that I was able to do this? This is really exciting. And so I was just glowing with pride the rest of the way back to the car. And I've been thinking about it since then because I skipped over that part where I was embarrassed. When I was in the middle of it, yes, there was some embarrassment, but the rest of the way, I didn't even entertain any of the, the nonstop chatter that I used to have about I can't believe it took you two tries. I can't believe you didn't just go down the first time. You're so dumb for not just trying it or just quitting. Like why, why do you always have to take two times or more before you can be successful at something? Why can't you just do it the first time? I used to hear stuff like that all the time. I didn't hear it 
at all, at all for this one. I'm telling you the story because I know that, that in years past, that's exactly the process I would have gone through. But in the moment, like again, okay, in the moment, like as I got down on my hands and crab crawled down, I was like, my brain of course offered me that was completely stupid that you didn't do this first. But then that was like the only thing that I heard. And when I heard that, I was like, yeah, duly noted. I hear you. Of course. Thank you for your opinion. But I don't believe that. I believe that this is fantastic, that I'm doing exactly what I want to be doing. And I realized that that, that was probably the first time that I've had something like that could have been perceived as embarrassing or a, a bad situation that I might have in years past have beat myself up about that I really didn't hear the chatter at all. I didn't have to argue with myself about this. I did something and I loved myself for exactly the way it went down. And here's the thing about this. This is available to you. And I know that it might not feel like it right now. For many, many, many years, I didn't feel like it was available to me to simply be okay with being who I am. And I know that sounds super funny, but that's really what it comes down to. I truly think that lots of us feel really on board with loving the parts of ourselves that are easy to love. You know, that four-step process where you do something and you don't really think about it because it's kind of not a big deal at all. And then if you do think about it, it's like, oh, well, sure, I guess I love myself. And then step four, love yourself. You know, it's pretty easy to love yourself for things that you don't think went wrong, that you're not embarrassed about or that turned out poorly in some way. It's easy to love yourself for easy things. But here's the question I have for you today. What if it was all easy? What if you actually loved yourself for the obnoxious and embarrassing parts too? And this is a real question. I know that your mind is trying to dismiss it almost immediately because you're thinking, no, there's parts of me that just aren't lovable. You know, that part where you talk too much, that part where you laugh too loud, that part where you forget people's birthdays, the part where you have to take two times before you can do something for allegedly the first time. Like, no, no, I don't want to love myself for those things. Because if I love myself for those things, I'm letting myself off the hook. I will never improve if I don't continue to beat myself up about this. This was my theory for a long time. And this is, this is something that when we were running out away from the waterfall that I was thinking about myself, because this is, this is something I've been working on. And really specifically, this is something that I've been thinking about, about improving myself and how loving myself is actually the way to go. Because in years past, all I would have done is beat myself up. And I would have, in fact, let myself get away with it is the way I'm going to phrase it. I would not have gone back and tried again if I was not determined to simply love myself. And here's what I mean by that. When I ran that 100K and stopped at the 50K, I really, truly felt that, that I needed to I'm going to say chastise myself. I mean, it sounds really funny now, but I really felt like the way to improve was to remind myself of my failures. And I, 
I honestly, I don't think that this was ever like a conscious decision. Like, I don't think I sat down and really weighed the pros and cons and thought, yes, you know what? Beating myself up is absolutely the way to get the results that I'm looking for. But it was a very natural thing to do. I felt on some level that I had to continually remind myself of the times when I had failed so that I would be motivated to do better the next time. My friends, this is literally the exact opposite of how your brain works. When you when you chastise yourself, there's this is going to sound like this is going to sound like it's not related, but I promise it is. When you chastise yourself, you are you are actually creating for yourself the opposite of what you want. And here's how you know this is true. Have you ever trained a dog? And I'm not calling you a dog. I'm not saying that our brains are that simple. I know that we are far more complex. We're far more intelligent. We've got a lot more going on. But I will tell you that the part of your brain that actually gets you results is very much like training a dog. Very, very much. The part of our brain that really drives our behaviors is determined to seek pleasure and avoid pain. So when you are beating yourself up about things, your brain is actually training itself to avoid thinking about them. Here's what I mean. So my dog Blossom, if you've ever watched my my workout videos, you've probably met Blossom. Blossom has, you know, free reign of the backyard. Our backyard is very small. We live in California. I have a teeny tiny lot. My neighbors are right next door to me. My My neighbors next door to me have a dog who is I think always outside, but maybe not always outside. But you know, when dogs can't see each other through a fence, but they can sense each other, they start barking at each other all the time. I I send Blossom out to go to the bathroom. And if the next door neighbor's dog is out, they go crazy barking at each other through the fence. So I have learned that rather than yelling at Blossom, because here's what happens when the dogs start barking at each other, I hear my neighbor, my neighbor, walks out there and starts yelling at his dog. And then when the dog comes anywhere near him, he'll give the dog a swat and start chastising it, telling him how naughty it is. I've noticed that that dog does not come when called. When I walk outside, I put on my nicest, nice voice, Blossom, come. I shouldn't say that very loud because Blossom's just in the other room (laughs) and she'll hear me. But I use my nice voice. I call her to me. She immediately because I have trained her, she immediately turns away from barking at the neighbor's dog and comes to me. She comes directly to me. I give her lots of praise. I tell her how good she is. And here's why. She knows that when I call her, I am, I am pleasure. I'm going to say nice things. I'm going to pet her. I might even give her a cookie. It's all good news because I'm really proud of her for doing the right thing in turning away from barking and coming to me. When you chastise yourself for something that you are not happy about, you create a situation where you're going to continue to be unhappy about that situation. You're going to feel bad about that situation. But when you give yourself praise, then your brain will continually be okay. Now, I know that it sounds like like my old four-part process, you know, arguing with yourself and, and kind of coming around to loving yourself mostly might still kind of fit in here, might still be okay. 
And I will tell you, it is. It's okay. And if that's what you're doing right now, you're on the right track. But even simpler than that is just loving yourself, truly. And I know here's your other argument because this is something else I used to think. If I let myself off the hook for the embarrassing or cringy things like not remembering people's birthdays or saying the wrong thing every time, every time in a social situation, I always say something wrong. If I let myself off the hook for that, I'll be a terrible person. If I just, if I just think it's awesome that I always say something cringy, embarrassing, or if I just think it's awesome that I forget people's birthdays, I mean, that makes me a terrible person, right? No, it just makes me a person. (laughs) It just does. My friends, I know that you know on some level that you cannot be perfect. I know that you know on some level that all of us have our foibles. We all have our, I call them isms, because it's just these things that you do. You're not perfect and you're also not terrible. And there is a middle ground in between those things where you could just love yourself for being a person who forgets birthdays. And yeah, you'll still continue to forget birthdays, but you don't have to feel terrible about it. Some people forget birthdays. Some people remember birthdays. You probably have friends who do both and it is what it is. Your friend who forgets birthdays does something else that you can hang your hat on, that you can look at and say, well, this is why we're friends. It doesn't have to be all or nothing. They can be good in this way and forget things over there. And I can still love them. You can do this for yourself. Here's the thing. You cannot simultaneously think that you are both awesome and terrible for the same things. You can think, I mean, as most of us do, well, I'm awesome in this way and I'm terrible in this other way. But here's the thing. When you decide that forgetting birthdays actually still makes you an awesome person, you don't feel terrible about it anymore. It's just who you are and who you are is lovable. Now here's, here's my practical steps for this one. I know you're going to be like, okay, I hear you. I'm on board. I get why this would be a good thing. I get that loving yourself is a really good thing to aim for. But how? How do I get out of that thing where I'm embarrassed and then I argue with myself and then and then I mostly love myself? How do I get to the point where it's just step one, do something, step two, love myself no matter what? Tell me how, Paula. Okay, here you go. <laughs> step one, just love yourself. <laughs> I know you saw that coming. At least I hope you saw that coming. But here's the thing. It's actually that easy. And I know that that sounds kind of funny, but you really just decide. Decide that you are going to love yourself no matter what. Here's why this works. Because when you have made a decision, when you have truly committed to making this decision, you will find a way how. We've talked about this with your goals. If your goal is loving yourself, here's how. Set the goal. Set the goal by deciding. Make it really clear in your mind. I decide that I love myself no matter what. And then you'll get into a sticky situation and you'll be like, whoa, 
I would love to feel embarrassed about this. I would love to argue with myself about this. I would love to feel super cringy and maybe never think about this again and kind of love myself anyways. But how can I love myself? How can I love myself in this situation? How could I love myself for flying off the handle and being angry at my husband who just wanted to do something nice for me? How could I love myself for needing to take two trips to that waterfall when I could have just done it first? How can I love myself for needing to crab crawl down because I'm such a scaredy cat? How can I love myself for that anyways? Honestly, because I think it's charming. I think it's hilarious. I think it's a really good story to tell people who are struggling to love themselves. There are all kinds of reasons why I can find all kinds of good stuff in this story, and none of it is embarrassing or cringy. All of it makes me a human being who is not perfect, but is perfectly lovable. When you decide, like really, commit and decide that you are going to love yourself no matter what. You will find yourself asking better questions. Because here's what happens. When you do something cringy and embarrassing, you'll ask yourself, oh my God, why did I do that? Oh, I can't believe I did something so embarrassing. And then when you ask, because here's what happens. You ask your brain a question, your brain is compelled to answer. When you asked that question, why did I do that? your brain's going to offer up all kinds of reasons why you did that. Well, because you're stupid, because you always do stupid stuff, because it always takes you too long to figure things out, because you always fly off the handle. You're an angry person. This is the information that your brain is going to bring you when you say, or when you ask yourself a terrible question. When you ask, why did I do that wrong? Your brain's got answers for you. But here's the thing. When you have decided and committed to loving yourself no matter what, you will ask questions like, what if I loved myself anyways for this? What about this situation could be lovable? What if, what if this was still lovable? When you ask yourself those kinds of questions, your brain might throw off some kind of, well, I don't know. I don't know how this could be lovable, but sit with it for a minute. Sit with it for a minute and your brain will be compelled to find you an answer. Your brain loves to agree with itself. And I love this because this is how we make changes in how we think. When you decide to think differently, when you decide to ask yourself better questions, you will get better answers. And I will tell you, spoiler alert, your brain can always, always find a reason why you are lovable. Go find it. Go find it, my friends. Ask your brain better questions and marvel in how easy it is to love yourself. I'm so excited for you for this journey. And you know, I want to know how you're going to love yourself. Tell me how. <laughs> I know you already know. <laughs> decide, commit. <laughs> but tell me how you're going to decide and commit to loving yourself. You guys, thank you so much for listening. I love you. And I'll talk to you again soon. 
So are you totally loving this mindset work and you really want to do it like, you know, every day in order to get your goal? Then my friend, you need to join the Get Your Goal group. It is my personal and private, very interactive coaching and accountability group where every day we talk about your mindset and we get your goal. You can learn all about it at paulabfitness.com slash get dash your dash goal. I'll see you in the goal group.